As we approach the two-year mark from the start of a quarantined world, it's interesting to look back at the things that became popular and see where they are now. For instance, things like work-from-home culture and video conferencing appear as if they're here to stay. Meanwhile, things like Tiger King or fighting your neighbor for the last roll of toilet paper are probably not going to come back. But there's also a gray area, and that's where Peloton comes in. The sudden explosion in Peloton bike sales around 2020 made it a household name synonymous with quarantine-era exercise equipment. However, a series of miscalculations eventually led to plummeting stock price, mass layoffs, and factory shutdowns. In this episode of Chain Reactions, Mike Raftery, Pat Green, and Michelle Mayer look at the case of Peloton as an example of how quickly your business landscape can change and what that can mean for your supply chain. You ready? Let's go for a spin. Cool. Well, thank you. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Chain Reactions, a supply chain podcast put on by your friends at SCM Connections. With me here are our host, uh, Patrick Green. Hello, everyone. And Michelle Mayer. Hello. And myself, Mike Raftery. So an interesting time in supply chain, for sure. Um, one thing that is in the news lately that I think we're going to have a real fun time talking about today is... Um, just the, I don't even know how to describe it. It is the, how quickly your landscape can change underneath you and what that means for supply chain. So one thing we've been talking about sort of lately in office here is, um, following the journey as most of the business world has on Peloton and those manufacturing issues. Um, just to give a, a brief synopsis, uh, in the past week, uh, they have gone and laid off 2,800 uh, office people, executive people, and fired their CEO and closed a manufacturing plant. So that's a pretty rough day, I would say. <laughs> you <laughs> <would> think. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly for it the people that have, been, <laughs> have like, let go. Right. Right. I mean, that's not funny, but the funny part is just how quickly things can change. Right. And, and Peloton was something where, um, you know, what, a year ago, you, you couldn't buy these things. You couldn't find them. Mm -hmm. And this year they're giving discounts and closing a factory. So why is it, Michelle, why, why would that happen so quickly in an industry that seemed so incredibly hot? Well, I think it's a matter of perspective, right? It's because if you go back and you look at what um, the various uh, kind of business business writers and people were writing about, it's it's actually it's actually been a year in coming, right? You know, they were writing about the supply chain issues that Peloton had a year ago and the struggles they had meeting demand and. You know, it, it sounded very typical. It sounded very much like what everyone else is and has been dealing with. And it and it was. But um, I think as Peloton progressed through the year, as you mentioned, you know, things shifting out from underneath them. Right. Um, they. I don't think we're prepared for what would happen when that demand picture 
changed and as time progressed right they weren't they weren't planning for the fact that that demand picture was going to change right and once they actually filled all those orders and people got their pelotons what was going to happen or if somebody just gave up and finally just said forget it i'm not going to get it um, <laughs> right. you know, so, while they were paying for the services while they were waiting for their peloton right um so it it's uh I think it seems like it happened overnight, but I think it was probably more an example of, you know, not an overnight, um, uh, uh, I was going to say not an overnight success, um, not not an overnight uh, uh, shock, but um, all of a sudden the, the drasticness of what they had to do was because they had not been planning for this for the last year. Yeah, well, and planning is something, Pat, too. You know, is it a lack of imagination or a lack of you can't forecast it, right? Is it just a lack of perspective? Well, yeah. And, I, you know, if I kind of look at the, the issues that they've had, um, you know, and I think this kind of obviously this isn't just a single problem, but, um, you know, they've had multiple problems throughout the year, not only the supply chain side, but really kind of looking at, you know, not understanding their their business. And I'm assuming thinking you're not knowing the details of their planning process, but assuming thinking that the demand goes on forever and that demand curve doesn't flatten out. Which is interesting because, you know, this is kind of one of those cases where, you know, from a demand perspective, they're trying they're when you're short, you think it's going to go forever. Right. You don't think that you'll ever you'll ever reach equilibrium or I don't want to say everyone. But, you know, there are a lot of companies that think, oh, this, you know, this trend is just going to keep going and going and going. Well, you know, at some point the market becomes saturated and you have to manage that effectively, especially, you know, this if your sales team tends to drive your demand picture. You can be very aggressive in, in what they think that they will be able to sell and hit and all of that. So, so you got a couple problems here. You've got some supply chain problems and probably an overestimation of demand and then kind of, you know, some external factors, things like, you know, people were inside, so they're trying to get in shape, you know, during COVID or, or, you know, you don't have enough supply to, to, to reach your customers, et cetera. So maybe it, the market shifted, but at the end of the day, they weren't prepared for that downside, um, which would say, right, we have, you know, our demand looks like this. Here's the likelihood, the risk associated with preparing for that. And here's the potential downside risk, right? Um, you know, when you have supply issues, you tend to think just order more, order more, order more. And we're seeing that with some of our customers that are doing the same thing. They have, they have their, you know, their customers saying order more because I don't know when I'll be able to get it next. Well, I th my guess is they probably ran into that issue. Yeah. And then all of a sudden have all the parts and the demand kind of falls off a cliff not necessarily yeah. falling off a cliff, but decreases. And then, then you're pinched. You've got it coming and going. You've got too much product coming in. You've got too many assets and too much capital tied up in your inventory, as well as now your demand is kind of maybe not decreasing, but certainly flattening out. And now you've got the perfect storm where you've got only off half your staff because, you know, your cost structure doesn't allow for that type of terminal growth or, you know, that type of growth that, that ceases. So I, that's my guess at what's going on, not knowing the, the inner workings of their, of their company, but that feels like, you know, being in this business a long time or, you know, the supply chain side and following demand and supply, it feels like that's probably some of the, the factors that we're playing out. Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting from how do we avoid this in the future, um, and since both of you have been pretty pretty engaged in demand planning cycles, would love your take on it, is 
how do you avoid that sort of group think momentum think in a forecasting process? Um, so I'll paint a scenario, right? You're using historical forecasts. You're seeing demand go up forever, right? Because that's how their sales were. <laughs> you're in an organization where, you know, you're, everyone's telling you you're, you're the hottest thing. You're, you know, Wall Street darling and all that kind of stuff. Um, so everything seems great. How do you bring some sobriety to that from an organization and a process? So, um, I mean, not everybody's going to be this drastic, but every business is exposed to this kind of activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think um, every time I think about it, Mike, um, I think about what what a client might be able to see literally, like what data do they have in front of them? What does their demand planning process present to them in terms of their demand planning picture, right? You know, what does it look like? And I, I go all the way back to my early career statistical process control training, right? And as you look at a chart or you look at um, what the data says, that from a from a process perspective or what's going on in a particular system, the first thing you have to do is lop off those really big peaks or those really big troughs also, right? Something something took, you know, something impacted you negatively dramatically, right? Um, but from a longer term perspective, it's like, what, what brings you back in that lane that is probably more realistic? And, and people, especially on the upside, they tend to think, oh, this is just going to go up and up and up and we're going to plan accordingly. Whereas it's like, well, you know, how much of an aberration was that and what caused that aberration and how and when is it going to come back into into the the appropriate statistical lane that is probably more realistic over the long term. And if you're not planning for that and you just continue to head up, um, then you you're going to end up in the situation that Pat described, right? And and we are seeing it. We're seeing it. Uh, Peloton's um, uh, uh, a recent uh, public example is being written about quite a bit, but there's a lot of other companies that are behaving yeah. similarly, right? Yeah, and, it's not isolated for sure, especially in either way, right? You could either yeah. blow the doors out and miss an opportunity or, you know, assume good times are here to stay and, you know, have yeah. the tides change against you. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the thinking of it, I mean, that's one thing, but are there tools to support any of this stuff out there, Pat? I mean, p people kind of hype up this AI demand sensing, you know, for, for predictive analytics, I guess, is a category. Is there any yeah. substitute for just human knowledge? I, well, there, you know, I, I think the, the whole point of the demand planning process and the consensus planning process is the ability to say, you know, take the numbers that are coming out in front of you because the algorithms are just going to work on the data and the data shifts over time. Right. So you're looking at your historical data as well as trying to then apply your historical um events to future events, right? That may or may not happen, right? And some of the some of the things you can control, but it doesn't have really good insight into what you can't control. So some of the things, and it depends on how much data you're actually managing in terms of your, you know, user accounts and all that kind of stuff. So so there's a lot of like disparate data that you can go after to try and get to get a bead on it. But that being said, you know, future events are, you know, you're just putting probabilities around it, right? You're managing risk around what you think you can sell, what you think the demand will be, what you think the supply disruptions will be, et cetera. 
the actual risk is different. So the perceived risk is such that the this is what the the numbers will tell you, right? If I run these events, I'll sell X. If I if I have these promotions, I'll sell X. If I do X, you know, certain amount of advertising, I'll sell. That'll increase my my sales. Well, that doesn't go on in perpetuity. So there's a certain the consensus demand planning process really needs to look at those numbers and say, is that real, right? And put some human intervention to say, I know that that's what the numbers are telling me, right? AI and you know, kind of doing all this correlate correlation between data points. But then saying, mm, is this real? Because again, the math will just continue on for infinity and it may not be the real path that you're going to take. And you may not have the information to model successfully against events that really are closer to your um, to your to your business, as well as, you know, the past two years have been really these kind of uh, long tail events or these black swan events that have happened for a lot of industries. You can't really rely on the past two to three years since COVID of the data that's been presented. It's a it's a new a new era. So so I'd be very careful as companies kind of start trying to do this and read the data in the in their um, past to apply that to future events because the next three or four years things will stabilize and and that then you'll start to be able to use these kind of more powerful algorithms but at this point i'd be very leery of it because of the way that the economy and the culture and and really people's behaviors have changed over the past few years um It'd be really, I'd be really skeptical of taking those, uh, correlating those events to future events for your business. Yeah, and I think there's another part of that too, Pat. When you see that correlation, is, um, you know, I think there are there's framework for that consensus. There's framework for that predictability, but you need a culture to support it too. And and I think that sometimes gets lost in such a data driven industry and in a data driven activity such as demand. Right. When you have to be able to speak, you know, an unpopular opinion and have that consensus not be a, um, what do you call, I don't know, a foregone conclusion, like it shouldn't just be a check the box exercise. If you're going to walk in there and discuss, you know, what happens if, or we're seeing, you know, some, some green shoots out there where we didn't see it, or we're seeing some weakness where you didn't see it, those things have to be truly discussed. And, and that is probably harder than the technology, in my in my opinion, especially when you start um, telling people the sky is falling. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Having the discipline to have those hard conversations and being willing to be uh, listen to listen to those conversations you know as pat said right listening to somebody asking is this real or even just looking ahead and asking yourself right like what's especially for these um i'll call them really fundamentally one-time purchases like a peloton or other light industrial things that you might be bringing into your home or to your business or things that uh, you did anything trendy anything trendy or anything like that that and and oftentimes these things you know many of these things are are not consumables right they last 10 years right so are you planning for and looking at 
even if we do get the backlog filled and even if we do get every, you know, we, we finally get every one of these items out and, and um, you know, hooray, we get our, our supply chain um, problems solved and, and we get those items built. Um, okay, well, now everybody has one, right? Now what? Uh, you know, they're not going to buy a second one likely, right? Or the market for that. So, what is it that you're thinking um, in terms of is this real, right? And and mm-hmm. how do we how There's do we? There's a lot of industries at that, right? Anything technology related is going to find that those people are always, you know, those things have almost prescribed lifespans. Yes, yes. Right? Oh, absolutely. What's that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm going to say anything with a prescribed um, retail is another one where that those organizations are conditioned to mm-hmm. burn through products. I think and and their culture is such that, you know, it's on a drumbeat. This is the 22 version or this is the summer promotion or, yeah. you know, an iPhone comes out and you need to replace all your accessories. Those things are pretty baked in almost as an annual cycle. I think where people get tripped up is when cyclical or trendy how is it? Not trendy things all of a sudden become trendy. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, through no fault of your own, demand spikes 300% or even, you know, somebody tweets something. We see that all the time, too. Yeah, I mean, I think a good example of this, Mike, and we, there was a company we worked with a few years ago and without going to the name, but they, uh, you know, there was, uh, they were one of the input products for uh, for slime, right? There was a slime uh, a good fab one. that went around. It's a, you know, and, and, and this was, you know, pre-COVID or whatever, for but those, it's a very those stable that don't product. Know, that's, that if you have small children in the past 10 years it's like a you could make your own glitter slime which is just as awful a process as it as it sounds <laughs> and it blew up on social media right it's all over instagram and facebook yep. it's like mom groups and we did it for parties birthday parties yep. all that kind of stuff yeah, exactly. And so you you have in it one of the one of the key ingredients uh, is um, was glue, right? So school glue, and um, so the manufacturers of school glue, right, who had been selling, you know, I don't know, five hundred million dollars worth of school glue for the past 50 years um, now are selling 500 million dollars worth of school glue in a month, and so they're you know they're moms were coming in and just clearing the shelves in Target, Walmart, and every other retailer, and then selling it to their friends on Facebook. So, you know, they they really were presented with a challenge. How do you manage this, right? When does the trend end, and um, or when does the fad end? And then do we build additional capacity? But you've got this opportunity in front of you right now. So, what is the what is the trade off between investing and in getting additional? Um, it, you know, in d- additional product and additional uh, material to manufacture. And then when are you holding the bag? Right. And it sounds like Peloton got, you know, stuck holding the bag. And these guys managed it fairly efficiently. I mean, they didn't add new plants. They didn't, you know, they just basically ran overtime and, mm-hmm. and scrambled to get as much product as they could in. And they didn't make the big capital investments. They did do some things, right, that were probably, you know, I don't want to say short sighted, but maybe that didn't have the same effect. Right. They, they tried like little slime kits and things along those lines. And I'm, I'm not sure how well those have done. But at the end of the day, they didn't spend they didn't do the capital investments and spend, you know, these 
Yeah, Fixed that's where it gets risky, and, right? You know, it's they, one thing you, you just cost, everything was variable exactly, and that's where it got risky for them. And they and they they pretty closely monitored when do we think this is going to drop off because I don't want to be I don't want to get stuck holding you know a billion dollars worth of inventory of glue when I normally carry fifty million. Right. right? Yeah, and that sobriety I think was probably their best move. <laughs> <laughs> You know, as opposed to building a plant or building new lines or buying it. And, and there's different degrees, right? And I find, um, you know, you can do that and just sort of ride it out and, and get some extra labor. There's also the flexibility that organizations do with outsourced manufacturing. So, um, I, you know, I've worked with some consumer products companies who use co-packers or um, subcontractors for, for things before they're ready to pour concrete, right? Before, uh-huh. let's see how this works out and have somebody else take the risk on. Um, which is probably another sec- good second step before you go and, you know, and then I was part of a project, too, where everybody was so convinced this is going to win, went out and built an entire new plant for it and, and just complete flop and ended up, you know, selling it for pennies on the dollar. So I think it is, that, you know, despite how rosy things are, it's human nature, right, to get caught up that in, in the current well, is going to keep going. And within this organization, there were very strong voices to do exactly that, right? That this is going to be a long-term trend. Everyone loves this. You know, slime's going to be around forever, et cetera. We need to get, you know, we need to prepare for the next 10 years. And, I, you know, I mean, that, that was a pretty small but vocal faction within their organization. I mean, I think cooler heads prevailed because the, the slime trend kind of, you know, worked its way through. And, you know, they, they do have, certainly they do have a bump up in demand, right? But it wasn't 10 times, it was maybe 20%, 10 to 20%. And once their, their um, demand and supply picture stabilized, they're able to manage it. So some of those investments were made, but at the end of the day, you know, there were people that saying, hey, let's buy plants and let's do this investment and capitalize. I mean, it was a billion dollar, you know, I don't know, not even more than that, a a couple billion dollar um, opportunity in front of them. But the long term assets, you know, they could have squandered all of it and then, you know, laid off people and bought plants they don't need and assets and all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think they were pretty good managing it. It was just, um, you know, but it's a good example of don't don't get too far in front of your skis because you may (laughs) think the business world can change pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but so the three of us are sitting here with the, the privilege of hindsight. (laughs) <laughs> for this, right? which makes it a lot easier. So, I mean, Michelle, as, as we get to sort of our, our wrap up here, what, what is your guidance that you've given your clients and your um, over the years of how to manage some of these, I don't know if fat is too negative a term, but large demand fluctuations? Is it just patience or is there some sort of, you know, more secret sauce than that? Yeah, I think it's a matter of um, coming back to what you were talking about earlier, Mike, right? Having the ability to um, look at something soberly, right? And and (laughs) really ask the hard questions yourselves as a team, right? As to, is this real? Or even if it's real, you know, there's, there's companies out there that have a year's worth of backlog still on their books, right? Now, now that's like a terrible, great problem to have, right? <laughs> because it's really <laughs> painful to live through. Um, but, and so you're doing everything you can to meet that backlog, but nobody is asking the question. We, we need to help our clients ask the question of like, okay, but 
now once you meet the backlog then what right is is this what does that picture look like going forward and how should we be thinking about that um, from not only a day-to-day -day operation perspective but also the big picture and capital investment discussions that pat was just talking about right so it really comes down to how do you help an organization how to, and how does an organization help itself to kind of lift itself out of the day-to-day -day and the scramble that they find themselves in to just do the best they can to get whatever they can to the customers what they've ordered try and meet their order try and meet what they have and that is all consuming and how do you help yourself so that you at least spend a little bit of time looking at and thinking about what's next, right? Mm -hmm. And what do I need to be doing about what's next after I meet this backlog? Because um, it's really, I think that's probably what happened. You know, Peloton is the visible example of that today, but I, I would suggest there's a lot of companies that are not too far away <laughs> from that, right? You know, they're that they're somewhere in that year of dealing with, oh my gosh, you know, we have this, this terrible, you know, this backlog and it's a great opportunity and we have all of that, but once it's met, um, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the right. question not asking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts, word of guidance from your experience? No, I think my experience is, you know, the, the instilling a sanity check to, to, to say, you know, no one's got a crystal ball on what's going to happen in the future and things can happen quickly. So there's there's two things that I think are are kind of important. One, have a sanity check in your process, right? Make sure if it seems a little too good to be true, you know, things aren't going to go to the moon forever. Or, you know what, I mean, for some products you may want to, you know, they may not be in, in a trough forever. The downwards, you know, trend may end. So, so kind of keep that in mind, right? It's, you know, it's it's like the stock market, right? You, you bubbles happen for a reason because people get too overexcited about the um, about the opportunity in front of them, right? And you know they they have corrections associated with it. The the other thing is I think really taking a risk adjusted approach, right? To say okay, as all of your sales and operations planning in your business, as you're looking at your organization, say okay, if we do this, what is the risk if things go against us, right? And that I think is a lot of times what is missing to say, all right, we can take we can take this opportunity, but if we make this investment and look at our downside, what does that look like? Oh, it means that we've got X, Y, Z. Well, that's an acceptable risk. Okay, let let's let's prepare because the opportunity is much greater than the than the downside risks associated with it. Especially in these growing you know industries, right? There's not that risk adjusted kind of decision making. So so to me, that's a big one that needs to come into play because that's that's really what. Um, companies tend to lack they look at the opportunity and, and people are people psychologically you know they they want to do well so they may not see the the risk adjustment so yeah that to me is a big one <clears throat> yeah again most things turn back into people and process but technology a, a third yeah. all right well thanks everybody thanks for listening to us you this is uh chain reactions with pat michelle and mike and we will be on the next episode thanks Yep. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Chain Reactions, an SCM Connections podcast. For more great content, visit scmconnections.com.